Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, episode 34, coming to you virtually from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. In a few moments we'll be joined by entertainment writer Susan King. Susan spent 26 years as an entertainment writer for the L.A. Times and joins us to share some of her favorite interviews with actors like Helen Hayes, Gregory Peck, Sidney Poitier, Jack Lemmon, and Walter Matthau. Susan is passionate about telling the stories of classic Hollywood, so stay tuned for the first half of our interview with this award-winning and entertaining writer. And if you're as big a fan of classic Hollywood as we are and happen to reside in the greater Seattle area, join us for Movies of the Decade at the Historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton tomorrow, Saturday, June 26th, when we'll celebrate the swing in 60s with a showing of The Graduate, directed by Mike Nichols and starring Anne Bancroft and a very young Dustin Hoffman. We hit the stage at 6.30 to get the show started, and TCM's Jeremy Arnold will be back virtually with another insightful introduction. And if you're a local actor as anxious as we are to get back on stage, dust off your eye patch and peg leg and come out to Western Washington Center for the Arts in Port Orchard tomorrow at 12 noon and audition for Gilbert and Sullivan's The Pirates of Penzance. Please come prepared with 16 bars of a song to share, and cold readings and a simple dance audition will follow. Performance dates are September 10th through October 3rd, and for more information, you can visit wwca.us or find them on Facebook, linked in the show notes. And if you're more comfortable behind the camera, we invite you to enter your film in the 2021 West Sound Film Festival. The festival will be held August 6th through 8th at the Roxy in Bremerton, but our listeners from around the country and world are welcome to enter. Just don't delay because submissions are closing at the end of June. For more info and to submit your project, visit westsoundfilmfestival.com and stay tuned right here for festival news and interviews. And when it comes to interviews, award-winning entertainment writer Susan King is as accomplished as it gets. You heard some of the big names she's spoken with over the years, many of whom Susan grew up watching on the big screen. She fell in love with movies at the age of three watching Yankee Doodle Dandy on television and houseboat at the movies with her parents. Susan quickly became obsessed as her parents took her to everything from Pillow Talk Parent Trap, The Apartment, and Ride the High Country. Susan became a more serious student in the cinema at 17 when she watched the PBS series film Odyssey hosted by Charles Champlin. Susan earned an MA in film history and criticism from USC and then put it to good use at the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, where she worked for a decade, and the Los Angeles Times, where she was an entertainment writer for 26 years, interviewing such legends as Helen Hayes, Hume Cronin, and Jessica Tandy, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Jeanette Gaynor, Loretta Young, Lena Horne, Gregory Peck, she played 1930 movie trivia with the actor. Sidney Poitier, Charlton Heston, Debbie Reynolds, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, Judy Dench, Sophia Loren, and Leslie Caron. Susan was awarded the Press Award from the Publicist Guild in 2012 and the Roger Ebert Award for Diversity in Film Journalism by the African American Film Critics Association in 2015. Her archives can be found at latimes.com, and she is currently active as a freelancer for entertainment news website Gold Derby. And Susan joins us from her home in Toluca Lake. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. It's a pleasure. So, Susan, we heard about how you fell in love with movies uh, in your bio at a young age, thanks to your parents. What was it about those first films and television shows that you were exposed to that sparked your passion? I think it was just magic going into a theater or watching certain things on television and the stories and the actors and the fantasy and being in a darkened theater and watch all of this show up, you know, on the screen. I mean, my first movie that I remember was going to see 
at the drive-in uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs when I was two and a half and my parents didn't tell me anything about it. So I spent a lot of time under the dashboard of the 56 <laughs> Buick. And finally, uh, they had to leave. So that didn't work out very well. And the first movie I saw in a theater was Houseboat with Cary Grant and uh, Sophia Loren. And there was nothing scary about that. Uh, but I just, I just couldn't wait to see more movies. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom and loved movies uh, all her life. And she would sit there and tell me about everybody we were watching on TV. So at two and a half, three years old, I knew about Kay Kaiser and Ishka Bibble because one of their, one of the Kay Kaiser musicals was on TV and she was going, Ishka Bibble, it's Ishka Bibble. <laughs> and so, you know, at two, two and a half, three years old, I knew Ishka Bibble. I fell madly in love with James Cagney watching Yankee Doodle Dandy when I was about three. And my mother had to let me know that he was much older than I thought he was. And therefore he could not wait for me to marry him. So it just always, and they, you know, and I was extremely well behaved as a kid in movies, except the uh, Snow White incident. So, uh, you know, they could take me and I would just sit there and laugh and, and enjoy. So, I mean, we went to, it was, you know, my dad would be at the movies with me, but he, if it wasn't Wings or Hell's Angels or China Seas, he really, you know, didn't care that much. But, you know, we went to Tom Thumb and Damn Yankees and Pillow Talk, uh, Some Like It Hot. I wasn't allowed to see any Disney animated movies except for 100 Well Dalmatians because of my um, Snow White. I was, was going to ask if that was because of the Snow White incident. Yeah. So <laughs> they took me to the apartment at the age of five. I couldn't see, couldn't see uh, Sleeping Beauty, but I could go to the apartment. I mean, they did get a little upset about that. And I didn't see any of those classic movies till I was in college. I mean, there I was at 21, finally seeing Snow White because they wouldn't let me go. Even like when I was 15, they said, no, no, you can't go see those movies. You can't, you can't see Fantasia. You can't see Sleeping Beauty. You can't see Bambi. Well, you're getting too big to fit under the dash of the Buick at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we didn't have the Buick anymore. And the Opal, I don't think, Opal Cadet, I don't think we could have shoved underneath that. Or the Dodge Coronet. <laughs> so there was just some, some sort of um, magic. There's a, there's a scene in the movie, one of my favorite movies, because I was madly in love with Richard Farnsworth. And I thought he was such a great actor. And I got to interview him before he died. But in Gray Fox, you know, he gets released from prison after all these years and he's in some mining town and he goes and he goes to see the great train robbery. You know, and all those men, their eyes are like this big watching the great train robbery. And then at the end, you know, there's a guy with the gun and he's firing, you know, into the camera and every, all the men go, oh, but there's this like joy and excitement. And that's what it was. And I, I love the stories and I, and, and it also it helped me, it educated me in a way, both TV and movies, because especially TV, I, at a very young age, I was watching biography with Mike Wallace and I would get, you know, the little, you know, kids bios on Lou Gehrig or Mahatma Gandhi or Clara Barton. Or, you know, I watched uh, Newt Rockne, All-American, like got a book on Newt Rockne and, 
especially the you know the wonderful world of color or the wonderful world of Disney, they would always do uh, you know they did like a drummer boy of Shiloh. So I went and got obsessed with the Civil War, and so it really, in a way, uh, I, and there was a one called the Magnificent Rebel about Beethoven. And I went and I start, you know, there I was seven years old reading bios on Beethoven, you know, so it, it also was educational. It, it, it spurred me to read more about uh, what I was watching. Yeah, it sounds like it was just part of your existence, part of your life. that was just yeah. an extension. And I, was an, and I was an only child and we moved a lot and I was sort of a geek. So this was, you know, I loved watching the movies. And then, you know, finally, when I was able to see some theater, it, it was even more amazing. Well, it seems like a natural extension then to go from that world where you're kind of uh, just in with this, uh, the movies and TV, you went to USC and received an MA in film history and criticism. Right. And then, and, and I, I can see this in talking to you about your natural curiosity, you moved from that into journalism. Oh, not not originally. I have to, you know, when we're talking about SC, when I was 16, 17, PBS aired this 26 part series called Film Odyssey, hosted by Charles Champlin, who was, you know, the be all and end all at the time at the LA Times. And it was the Janus collection of foreign and American, foreign and some American films. And that was another life changer for me you know, Jules and Jim and Beauty and the Beast and all of those, you know, I had never seen movies like that. And it just opened up many windows. It's, I realized what film could, could do that we just didn't always have in American movies. So, and I ended up writing my master's thesis on Truffaut at USC. And I have over there, way over there, I have, I sent it to him and he sent me books and a letter. And I talked to him on the phone. Somebody said he was in town. And I talked to him on the phone December 6, 1977. And it was around 3.45. And that little <laughs> voice, and he said, you know, I have to turn down the, I have to turn down the TV, you know, like, you know, just out of Close Encounters. And, and so what was on TV at the time, I always tell this story, was the gong show. And Channel 7 was showing a very edited version of this property is condemned. And I don't remember what was on the other network. So I always wondered, was he watching the severely truncated, this property is condemned, or was he watching the gong show? (laughs) (laughs) But getting out of um, USC, uh, originally for years and years, it was determined that I would make a good librarian. And that was what I was going to be. I was going to go to, I mean, it wasn't really all my decision, but that was going to be because they were crying for librarians. And so uh, actually I went to USC this summer. I got out of college a term early and I went that summer and took cataloging and classification. And it was just as exciting as you think it was. (laughs) And uh, it was it was horrible. And I was like almost ill. It was so you know what I mean? It was just the worst. And when I came home, my parents said, all right, you can apply to the, the film school. And when we got back, I didn't know if they were had were accepting me or not, but they did. So that's how I ended up in the film school. 
And I was still thinking of like working in libraries, you know, doing research and things like that. But nobody wanted anything. So I ended up uh, typing slates at a video tape post-production company. I worked for one of the meanest men in Hollywood at his literary agency. And he had been around since the 30s. And we were only allowed to drink two, two sparklets containers a week, the, the staff, you know, because he was so cheap. And, wow. uh, and he had handled Fitzgerald and you name it, uh, W.R. Burnett, you, it was, you name it. So I went to another, I went to the videotape post-production company where it was the Me Too movement for me for the entire 46 weeks I was there. It was, you know, bad news. And somebody's, somebody, a maintenance guy had a his wife was working at the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. They were moving to New York. They recommended me to, you know, be a secretary because nobody wanted anybody with a degree in film history and criticism, you know. And so if I if you could sort of type and answer the phone, you know, you had a better luck at getting a job. A lot of male friends of mine, you know, had really difficult times. And so I ended up at the Herald. And I just worked my way up. And uh, the last, from 84 to 89, before it folded, I was writing movies and, and you know, classic Hollywood type stories and TV and theater. Um, I interviewed like Ruben Mamoulian, Joel McRae, Helen Hayes, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Tommy Toon, uh, George Clooney, when he had uh, an earring uh, and a uh, mullet, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you name it. Early Clooney. Early Clooney, early Clooney. So I interviewed all, a lot of people. And when it folded, a lot of people from the Herald had gone over to the Times. I applied and I was accepted over there. And I was there 26 years. You uh, you mentioned your your Me Too movement experience. What was the newsroom like in the early '80s for a lady compared to what I had gone through at the the videotape post production company and the liter lit agency? It was Me Too. You know, as long as with the Me Too stuff, it was pretty mild. Hmm. You know, I mean, nobody nobody asked me uh, to go to the organ exchange so we could pick out a new organ for the guy. And we, di we didn't mean an organ, you know, a pipe organ per se, uh, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, it was, you know, constant there, just constant. And when I got to the Herald and, you know, even at the Times, you, there was a snobism. Who are you? And, you know, I'm not going to talk to you, you know, that type of a deal. So you had to kind of prove yourself before they'd say hello. It was more of a seniority thing. Yeah, it was pretty, you know, I mean, you had some big people there and there was that kind of snobism, you know, that I wasn't used to. There were issues and, and a lot of times it was not male editors, it was female editors that gave people more grief than the guys. Hmm. But, you know, you, I, I persevered. A lot of people uh, who weren't friendly or didn't treat me very well, I stayed, you know, I at least at the, you know, at the times, you know, I mean, when I started there in 1990, there were like 1800 people in editorial all over. And when I left, I think we were maybe 400. 
Wow. You know, and I left, I, there was, you know, a, a really good buyout. And I just was like, I thought I would be there till I was a thousand, you know, they'd have to like, <laughs> you know, like lift me out with my chair. And I'd just be like, <laughs> and I, that uh, fall of 2015, when they announced this buyout, I said, I'm going to do it. You know, I just, I was just too tired, but little too tired. As much as I love interviewing people and I've had a great time and have met so many people and they know, you know, a lot of people know me. And, you know, I remember, you know, saying to Carol Burnett, I said, you don't know what this means to me, but you say, hi, Susan, and you know who I am. You know? Wow. You know, or Eva Marie Saint or Angie Dickens, you know, I mean, they know who I am. Well, going back to before you knew all of these wonderful people, um, to your first showbiz assignment or your first entertainment assignment. Can you walk us through how that happened and, and how you prepared and how it felt? They had a thing at the LA time, uh, at the Herald Examiner, and it was a Q&A, a tightly edited Q&A that usually was on the front page of the paper, started, jumped to somewhere. And you did the Q&A, this woman who cracked her gum all the time and laughed a lot in the bathroom, she transcribed it. And then the editor edited it all down. So I was assigned. He was a guy who worked at Paramount and was involved in special effects and whatever they were involved in, they had done some of the special effects for the black hole. Mm, yeah. So I just had to read, you know, whatever they sent to me. Because uh, again, in 79, it wasn't like you could go on the internet. And, you know, if it was like new ways of doing special effects, there wasn't really much out there. So for that, you know, I, I was nervous, but the guy was, you know, not too old. Uh, I was young. And so, you know, it was kind of easy to talk to him, you know, and he took me to lunch at Paramount and, you know, we finished and it went fine. Then my, the first actor, I ever interviewed was Barnard Hughes and his wife, Frances Sternberg. Barnard had won a Tony Award for this Irish play called Da, and they were touring in Da. And I had seen Da the night before. And I remember I got all dressed up and I couldn't find, it was a bungalow uh, owned by the Chateau Marmont. Couldn't find it. I'm walking around, I'm getting hot. I finally show up. I, you know, did a, again, I did, you know, research. And of course I knew his career and I had seen the play and they were lovely. They were both very lovely. And I went, you know, I made it through. I mean, I was, I was nervous, you know, especially when I started doing bigger pieces, you know, like real pieces, you know, they sent me off to interview somebody and I go, Oh, you know, I hope I'm okay. But everybody, I seem to get along well with everybody. And especially if I really knew their careers well, that really helped. I did well with, you know, old Hollywood types. I mean, there were just some really lo lovely people. Philip Dunn, the screenwriter and director, he, did, he wrote How Green Was My Valley, the screenplay, and he wrote the screenplay to The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. And in the 50s, he, he directed a few films, including 10 North Frederick, and Prince of Players. He was lovely. And his I remember his wife, who had been an, an actress, made the greatest 
grilled cheese I have ever eaten. I do not know what that cheese was, but it was like I, you know, I wanted to uh, become engaged to the grilled cheese because I had never, <laughs> never tasted anything quite like that. Funny the things that we remember. Well, you do. You, you know, you remember uh, like in um, July 11th, I'll always remember 19. 19- 84 was my first really big interview with someone I really liked. And that was Jeremy Irons, who I had seen, I had seen in the real thing. And of course, Brights had revisited. He had done this really awful vocal Schwandorf movie uh, of uh, Swan in Love, you know, and it was kind of based on fruit. It was, it was awful. And he was doing a French accent and Alain Delon was in it. And I had a horrible cold and I was just hoping I didn't like sneeze over him. <laughs> so I, I didn't, I didn't, but we're sitting and I was alone in a hotel room with Jeremy Irons. It was lovely. And he had a uh, basket of grapes, which he put next to me on the sofa. Okay. So, and I had this clumsy tape recorder they had given us what was about 90 pounds. You know, I think it was the first I just had that and he gets a phone call from Samantha Egger. <laughs> anyway, he, pick, he goes, oh, Samantha. And so I need to turn off the tape recorder. And when I do, I knock all of the grapes on the floor. Oh, <laughs> oh, yes. All the grapes on the floor. And after he gets off the phone with Samantha, there we are crawling on the floor, picking up grapes. <laughs> So you talked about how well you got along with with these folks, especially the classic Hollywood types. What character quality do you think uh, is the most important for someone to have in your role? Is it resilience in a situation like that? Because those type of things are going to happen. Oh, yeah. It happened. uh, Something close to that happened with Chris Plummer. Again, another like Chris Plummer. And we we had a great 90 minute interview talking about live TV in the 50s and Ruth Chatterton flying her plane and, you know, all this stuff. And when I go to leave and it was at the polo lounge, I go to leave and I I didn't know my purse was open and everything is out of my purse and he goes well what is this and I go oh it's my coupon for uh dry cleaning (laughs) (laughs) and then later I get a call like on Monday going you didn't get everything picked up and Chris uh, brought your brush and there was something else and he left it at the valet (laughs) so I had to go I had to go drive you know that week and pick it up and I was so embarrassed (laughs) you know but I I I, I don't I don't I don't know if it's resilience. It's I don't gush over people, but I I make sure they know I know stuff. Like with you, I just talk to them. I don't sit mm-hmm. there. I don't if I'm talk if I'm going to be doing like a phoner, I'll look at notes I've written out, you know. But I write out ideas, questions before I go to an in person. But I don't I don't look at the notes. It's just for me. And then, you know, because you never know, uh, you have to be prepared that they may want to talk about something else or you don't know really how it's going to go, you know. And Flexibility then. Right. You have to be flexible and, you know, you have to, you have to be knowledgeable. The thing is, I remember someone telling me that 
they were going to do a Q&A before a screening with Martin Landau, right? Hmm, wow. And I've interviewed, Mar- I had interviewed Marty a lot of times and we got along great. We talked, you know, the actor studio, we talked uh, Jimmy Dean, we talked seeing Lorette um, Hayden do the original Glass Menagerie. There were several people I know that got to see her back in 44, 45. You know, it was supposed to be amazing. And we just got along great all the time. And this person said that she saw something, you know, on YouTube of some young whippersnapper or something going up to Marty Landau, Martin Landau and saying, um, what have you, like, what have you done? You know, that type of a deal. And he got a little upset. And I remember in 1988, I interviewed Helen Hayes at uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel. There was a, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a restaurant near the pool. And she, that was a hangout for her. She was 88 and it was friggin' Helen Hayes. (laughs) So, uh, and she had some, you know, young woman driving her around, you know, and at first I started talking to her and she was, you know, okay. Oh, right. You know, and I said, oh, my mother saw you and Mrs. McThing on Broadway in 1952. And it meant a lot to her. And then she mentioned something about Coquette and that she had done Coquette on Broadway. And I said, is that the same Coquette as the Mary Pickford movie that where she won the Oscar? And she suddenly brightened up. And all of a sudden we just started talking because I, you know, when she would bring up Jean Fowler, I knew who she was talking about or Barrymore or Robert Walker or whatever, you know, she was, she was great. And at one point she said, dear, are you 90? You know, because (laughs) we were, I was keeping up with her and I wasn't showing off, but I, it was when she, once she realized that, I knew who she was. I knew her career. I knew her movies. It changed. You know, it, it, it really helps. I mean, a lot of times people say I get along well with difficult people. Well, it shows a certain level of respect for them. Well, yeah. To go you know. in uh, with your re- having done your research, even if it's not someone that you know, um, because, you, you know, you're a fan. We've experienced something similar on this show, even, you know, we're, we're just a brand new podcast and we've right. got on some, some big name guests. And, and at first there's maybe a little bit of hesitancy and then, oh, well, these guys, these guys have done their, their research. And then right. you're right. You can, you can just hear them kind of relax and open up and, right. okay, this is a legitimate interview. Because I think there are, you know, I mean, I know uh, there are people out there who, they don't have a, you know, if it's five years ago or 10 years ago, if it's past 10 years ago, they just don't know. Yeah. And I, I try to keep up with everything, you know, if, you know, no, no matter age or, you know, I look at TikTok. I mean, I look at, I look at animals, basically, you know, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, but still I know what's going on. I know who people are. I try to keep in touch with everything. You stay hip. <laughs> well, I, I've had too many problems, you know, staying a little too hippie. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I think you have to be resilient. You have to be fast, you know, fast on your feet. You know, it is hard when somebody is a horrible interview, no matter what you do. They're terrible. And I always feel like I turn into Chris Farley. 
you know, remember that time when you yeah, did yeah. that in that movie? Uh-huh. Well, oh, I'd love, you know, it, it's almost like that. You know, you're going, oh, my God. Or you have a horrible experience one time. And then five years later, you have to go back and interview that person. And, you know, you're scared to death because they were such horrible people the first time. And then the second time, it's like you're talking to a totally different person. Hmm. And likewise, they could have been really nice the first time and they not so nice the second time. So how much leeway did the, the newspaper give you on both who you were going to interview and then what the topics of the, or the agenda for those interviews? I'd say most of the times, uh, you know, you get pitched tons of stuff. And I would send it to my editors and go, what do you think? What do you think? And they go, okay, I like this. I don't like that. I like this. And go from there. Sometimes they would call you to the office or email you and say, we want you to do this. And, you know, and then you would read what, you know, whatever it was, you know, what the movie was, the, the TV show or whatever. And then other times, you know, with classic Hollywood, when I had that column uh, for like the last five years I was there, sometimes he would assign some, uh, uh, Rich would assign something, but a lot of times I would see what was out there, you know, or I'd be sent a book and, you know, it was like, oh, this would be perfect. Or so-and-so isn't, you know, Barbara Bain is doing a play, you know, at this church, you know, that would be a perfect classic Hollywood or so-and-so's doing, you know, uh, Lee Merriweather's doing a play or it's Betty Garrett's 90th birthday or they're honoring Norman Lloyd's TV work at UCLA, you know, and when he was 99 and I had interviewed him a lot over the years and um, it, you know, it all depended. And a lot of times, you know, they would give me, this is what we want. And I, and then a lot of times I'd say, well, this is what I'm thinking of. And then what else would you you want me to talk to them about? And, you know, we go from there. For a show like ours, the the research that we do, we would turn to Ballet Times or something comparable to do our research. Now, as a reporter for said newspaper, would you go back into your own archives? Were there other newspapers or or resources that you would look into? Oh, yeah. Especially uh, once you were online. Uh, unless you know the internet was alive and kicking you know before you would have to sometimes you know just rely on clips you know that they had like at the um at the herald examiner you know relying on some clips or you know i have you can't see them but i have a bookcase over there and i have one in the two, i have bookcases in the two bedrooms and they're also filled with film books and i would go through those if i was you know you know talking to folks but, you know, a lot of the stuff, I mean, I just knew, you know, I'd go talk to Loretta Young. I mean, I knew Loretta, you know, I, I knew her stuff, you know, I mean, we got along great. She told me this great story about working with Lon Chaney. And, but I always would go prepared, you know, sometimes if it's like this, like a low budget indie movie, there's nothing, you know, other than <laughs> yeah. some reviews and, you know, you know, this big of a press note and maybe some stuff online you just kind of have to go in there and say tell me about it you know what was the genesis of this and how did this happen and you know you kind of go from there I know when I've done um in person like at theaters interviews like if it's a new film you go how did this 
how did this project come about? That's kind of like the best way to start. If it's somebody like Mitzi Gaynor on the 60th anniversary of, um, of South Pacific, you know, I said, I saw this, you know, in the drive-in when I was, you know, five, you know, they re-released it. And, and, and we just talked about and about her shampoo. How did she wash her man out, you know? And she used, you know, normal formula and Rosanna brought, you know, working with Rosanna Brazzi and, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein. It's, it's you know, you kind of just go in there and, and just try to have, you know, some fun. If it gets, you know, I've done Holocaust survivors and a lot of other people who have gone through really traumatic things. And of course you can't, you know, because if they're documentaries, of course you can't have fun with those. You've got to be serious. And you you know, you do your research on, you know, watch the movie or the documentary and try to do as much research as you can and just be as comforting if they get upset talking about the past as, you know, you can. Well, thank you to our guest, Susan King. You can find her archives at latimes.com and her latest work on entertainment news website, goldderby.com. Join us next week for the second half of our interview with Susan for more interview stories from famous actors and tips for all of us amateur writers. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We'd love to hear from you, so please join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, thank you for supporting your local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver.